Romans 4. So uh give you my background. I grew up in a um, Christian family. One that, uh, it, and it was nobody's fault but my own, but my perception of it was it was all about rules, following behavior. So as a result of that, I would attempt to live the Christian life in my own strength, give up, attempt, give up, attempt, and give up. And finally, I said, you know what? <laughs> I'm done. So I went through college and all that good stuff, really had paid no attention to it. But I knew, back in my mind, I knew that Jesus was real. I just had no clue who he was. Uh, and my prayer for you guys today is that through this message, you have a desire to know Jesus more. He's a pretty cool guy. Um, anyways, back in uh, 2013 fall, I remember sitting down at Irvington. I grew up in Irvington in, uh, down the near east side. And I remember sitting at the Starbucks there on Washington Street, and I'm reading this Romans 4 stuff. And it was like, bam, my eyes got open to something that I'd never seen in my life. And later, I had to drive to Cincinnati. I remember making that two-hour drive, and the hair of my lack of, hair, my lack of hair in my head, my follicles were standing straight up. Because I had started to see some things that were totally different than what I ever even imagined. And my prayer for all of you guys is that you would grasp that. And so today, if, if anything, I'd, I'd encourage you to allow yourself to think freely and differently. Um, but anyways, I struggled with uh, anxiety. And I was remember, you know, early, I don't remember where it was, but I remember always struggling with it. And I think, you know, the, the, the root of it was, I remember telling a worldly therapist, I said, you know, I feel like there's some being that's just standing over me that's angry. This wait for me to screw up, and every time I screw up, bam, he's going to crack me because he's dissatisfied with me. That was a big source of my anxiety, and, and what I hope to bring to you guys today is the, that you can see that that was just a misperception of who the Father is. He's a Father of love. Um, he's a Father who cares about you, who pursues you, who wants to you to know Him intimately, and there's peace and freedom in that. So that being said... I'm going to turn it over to Chad. He's going to read the first couple of verses, and you can see where I'm going to kind of intervene. Appreciate you coming out. <laughs> I just got rustied. Or ryan Yeah, how about that? You're the man. Okay, Romans 4, 1. I'm not reading the title. We don't read the title of the Amen. chapter. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, has found. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Um, Jim, do you mind throwing up that visual? There you go. So guys, I, I love seeing things. I'm a visual learner. Um, but the bottom line is here, we look at the first couple of verses and you see that the law was given in Exodus 20. Abraham, if we're looking at a timeline on a linear, on the, on a linear perspective from, from a bio, biblical perspective, um, if you notice, Abraham was born and lived long before the law. And so based on these verses, what you're going to see here is that Abraham's righteousness was credited to him long before the law. 
long before the law. Um, and the, the way I like to look at it, I'm bootlegging Rusty's example he gave me a long time ago, but I, in this hand, I've got a credit card. Today, I could go out on a huge spending spree, but guess what? Sooner or later, i got to pay for it. This is Abraham. Abraham was credited righteousness before the cross. He had a credit card. The good news is for you guys today, I've got a gift card. Somebody gave me this gift card. I can go spend it today, and guess what? It's already been paid for. So your righteousness is after the cross. It's been paid for. Go ahead, Jeff. Verse 4. Now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but as what is due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. Um, I, I love how the Bible, as Doug mentioned last week, the Bible all kind of works together, right? It all, it never contradicts itself. It all works together. And uh, Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. Uh, are you able to flash that up there? Okay. Yeah, so now um, this is in Ephesians and it adds just right to this, but it says, now the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor. Or oh, that's Romans, isn't it? Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. Anybody got a Bible? <laughs> um, while I'm doing that, you know, I think the, the big thing is, is um, when I look at these verses, is receiving requires a lot of humility. I'll uh, give you an example. I'm going to pick on my boy Dave. Dave and I met for a good old cigar Thursday night. I bought his cigar. Why? Because I love Dave. I wanted to do something nice for Dave. But Dave said, oh, man, you don't have to do that. And the point of that is, is I think a lot of times, you know, especially the Christmas season, it's easy to give, but it's really hard to receive. And I think a lot of the, the issue behind that is a lot of time is pride. And uh, Peter uh, there's a verse in First uh, Peter that says that um, God gives grace to the humble, but resists the proud. Uh, but I think the bottom line here is, is um, your grace is received. And uh, Ephesians 2, 8 through 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that's not of yourself, but it's a gift of God. So your salvation, your righteousness was a complete gift of God. And it's not based on what you do, but what you do is tremendously impacted by who you are. Um, go ahead, six. Just as David also speaks of the blessing on the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin is the Lord. I'm sorry. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. Did you guys hear that last statement? Let me do that again. Do it again. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. Blessed is the man whose sin and the Lord will not take into account. Who said that? Who well, let me, the Holy Spirit said, but who, who the Holy Spirit 
write that through. David. Who in the world is David? Luke, who's David? What else was he? Well, that's true. I'm looking for another word. I'm looking for another word. Yeah, what else was he? He was king. Jesus was king. Prophet. Priest. So what was, David was a king and he was a prophet. Am I right? I mean, he, you read Psalms, he talks a lot about what's going to happen in the future. So the point of that saying is that these statements right here, that, that was written by David, who is a prophet. Who is David talking about? Troy, who's David talking about in, that, in those statements? Who's he talking about? He's talking about you guys. He's talking about you guys. Um, and, you know, the interesting part about this is we're reading a lot about Abraham. And um, this is going to tie in really well with forgiveness. But if you look at Abraham um, and you go through that, that's um, so when God approached Abraham, he, God told him several things he was going to do. He said, Abe, I'm going to go forth from your country. I want you to go forth from your country and from your relatives. I'm going to give you this land. I'm going to bless those that bless you and curse those that curse you. And I'm going to make you a great nation. And guess what else I'm going to do? I am going to create a family of descendants through you. The fun part is you go back and read about Abraham and Abraham, I, I'm not covering them all, but Abraham wasn't perfect. In fact, he made, he, he made a lot of blunders that lacked faith. Because look what God told him he was going to do. And so what did Abraham do? The first thing he did is, you know, the first thing he does is he takes Lot with him. God just said, leave, leave this country and your relatives. Takes Lot with him. Says, I'm going to give you this land. Well, a fan, uh, famine hits in Canaan. Guess what Abraham does? He packs up and bolts for Egypt. Then he shows up in Egypt, and God says, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to bless those that bless you. And if anybody messes with you, guess what? I got your back. And so guess what he does? He shows up down in Egypt, and he tells all the people he lies about who Sarah is. He, caught, he says he's, he, he referred to her as a sister out of fear. And then lastly, God said, you know, I'm going to create a descendant through your lineage. And so Abraham's like 75 years old. He's like waiting around like, man, is this ever going to happen? You told me it's going to happen. So Abraham takes things into his own hands, decides to hook up with Hagar. Through Hagar comes Ishmael. And the point is, I bring all that up is God still fulfilled all of his promises. Every single one of them. And Abraham didn't perfectly respond to it, but guess what? It didn't change God's character. It didn't, he didn't change his mind. And the point of that is, is uh, according to Hebrews 10.17, it says, Their sins and lawless deeds I will remember no more. The interesting part about that is, you, we read about Abraham. There's a lot, I mean, it's not belittling to him, but it shows he didn't act out of faith the whole time. The fun part is, though, you read about Abraham post cross, you will never see anything negative about Abraham, ever. You think that's a coincidence? 
I don't think so. I think that shows the heart of the Father and what the, what the cross accomplished for, for Abraham. Um, the, the point of that, guys, is to say that uh, you're forgiven for past, present, and future. The reason why is because you live post-cross, as we looked on the timeline. Uh, this, this truth was, was made available for you because of Jesus. Remember in John, when uh, John the Baptist saw Jesus walking up, what did he say? I love that, and I love the word of. He said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So under law, there was a sacrificial system. It was up to you guys, if we were in the, under the law, to bring in an animal to be sacrificed, not even for our forgiveness, just to cover our sins. So that's works. The fun part is under grace, which we all live in post-cross in the new covenant, who that lamb belonged to? Dave, who's the lamb belonged to? Behold, the lamb of God. So God provided the perfect sacrifice for you and I, and we're 100% forgiven past, present, and future. Like Abraham, you can respond to it how you want. You can take advantage of it. You have a new heart, though, that doesn't want to. You, you, like Abraham, you can have a response to it, and I'm, you're forgiven. The, the truth is there's natural consequences for bad decisions. And if you look at Abraham, that response with Ishmael, fortunately, Ishmael is the father of the Arabic nation, and we all know how that story's went. But guess what? Abraham's still forgiven, and so are you guys. Regardless of your response to it, you are forgiven. Go ahead, Chad. Nine. Verse nine. Is this blessing then on the start over? Is this blessing then on the circumcised or on the uncircumcised also? For we say, faith was credited to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it credited? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised, not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while uncircumcised, so that he might be the father of all who believed without being circumcised. That righteousness might be credited to them. And the father of circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, but who are also, who also follow in the steps of the faith of our father Abraham, which he had while uncircumcised. All right, so we're going to do an exercise here. I want all the men um, to raise their hands if they're circumcised. That's a joke. Can't be want. The point here, guys, is, you know, circumcision was was a big deal. Uh, You know, Paul, when we were going through Acts, you know, early in the part of Acts, it was a big deal. Like, do you have to be circumcised? Do you not? And I think the interesting part of that is you could take that circumcision rule, and you could apply it to today to, to a number of things, right? Like for me growing up, I thought, well, I've got to get myself together before I can have a relationship with God. I've got to go to church every Sunday. I've got to read my Bible every day. I've got to do my devotions. I've got to stop swearing. You name it. Um, you know, it's like you've got to check off all these boxes. And I think when I look at circumcision back then, it's it's kind of the same today. We put these rules around what we have to do. And the point of seeing Abraham here is 
Abraham existed before there were any laws. And we've already seen his righteousness was credited to him by faith and faith alone. Uh, The good news with that is we live in that today. There's nothing you can do that's going to make you more presentable to God. There's nothing you can... There is... meant to say this a second ago, but the... uh, Yeah, so Abraham's righteousness had nothing to do with what he did. It's what he believed. Um, the bottom line is, you guys, and all of us included, we're on a Jesus-based acceptance. It's not about what you did, it's about what he did. But what he did made you righteous. Um, and the fact of the matter is, is, God, you know, if you look at the Old Covenant, the Old Covenant is about, is about man's response. Like, and the, the reason why I bring that up is it never really brought about any change. God desired to do something more than just create an outward change. When He died, you died. He gave you a brand new heart that reflects His nature. You notice Jesus talked a lot about it. I think He was like a lot of agriculture stuff, like the, the, the seed, you'll know the fruit by its seed. and that. So the bottom line is, is what he wanted to do is impart his life in you. He wanted to do something greater than change your behavior. He wanted to change who you are at the core. Thirteen. For the promise to Abraham or to his descendants that he would be the heir of the world was not through the law, big L, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law, big L, are heirs, faith is made void and the promise is nullified. For the law, big L, brings about wrath. But where there is no law, there is also no violation. So the... um, So, if, if Abraham was credited righteousness by faith and he was born some 300 years before the law was given. I think you got to ask yourself, well, what was the intent of the law? What was the intent of it? It never brought about righteousness. But you know what? Now, I used to see the law as something negative, something bad, but now in my life, the more I'm able to experience Jesus on a daily basis, the law was an act of grace. It was an act of grace because God, because God wanted you to experience the abundant life you have in Christ. And the only way He can do that is to get you out of the way. To get you out of the way and be able to allow Him to express His life through the Holy Spirit that was given to you on a daily basis. Galatians 3, 3.17-18 is a... And if you care to dig in the, to the purpose of the law... Galatians chapter 3 really piggies back well on this. I'm not going to get too heavy into it. But uh, according to Galatians 3, 17 through 18. What's that? Okay. Basically, bottom line, it says, just piggybacks on what I just said. It says Abraham was born 300 years before the law was given. So the intention of the law was not for Abraham to live by 
It was to bring, you know, we all we also look at Galatians, uh, I, don't, I forget the verse, but it says the law is a tutor to bring those to Christ. So the law, in my opinion, is meant to say, you know what, I give up. I can't do this anymore. Lord, I need you to do this through me. Go ahead, Jeff. Um, one thing I would, did want to point out, though, is you know, the interesting part, though, is if you go back and you look at when the law, the capital L that Chad was mentioning, that was Mount Sinai. Um, if you go back and look, it's, I think it's Exodus 20. But the atmosphere when the law was given, I don't know if you guys have noticed that, but it was loud. Trumpets blasting. Fear. The Israelites wanted separation, distance from God because of fear. And the point of that being is the law, law can never bring you closer to Christ. The other thing it does is, I think we all, the, the beauty of this community is we all have wonderful relationships. Wonderful relationships. I can look around the room, I've spent a lot of one-on-one time with all of you guys. A lot of you guys. The reason why those relationships thrive is because there's no expectations on each other. The law put expectations on spiritual bankrupt mankind, and as a result, there was no intimacy. I think that's what makes this room so unique, is when we're together, there are no expectations on your behavior. We're able to see each other for who we are in Christ and see each other for our brand new heart and know that our behavior is not always going to be perfect, but when you remove that, those expectations, intimacy is the common thread. Um, the last part, the 3.15, this is, this is an interesting verse. I love this verse. For the law brings about wrath, but where there is no law, there is no violation. So I heard this example one time. It's like, uh, oh, what's, um, who's the big car guy in here? Sam. Sam's not here, is he? Let's say Sam, Sam's got this new ride, whatever I've heard about, I've seen. I'm not a car guy, but let's say Sam existed in this, had this brand new hot car and there's no speed limit. This is before even speed limits exist. And Sam, my guess is Sam's going to be out on the road doing about 130 wherever he goes. The point of that being is, let's say that then Sam is that way for about 10, 15 years, and then all of a sudden they establish the speed limit. Bam, 55 miles per hour. Well, up to that point, Sam didn't know he had a speeding problem. He didn't know he had a speeding problem. But as soon as that speed limit comes in, and he's like, man, i got to start doing 55. I'm used to doing 130. All of a sudden, he's like, Ugh, i got a problem with speeding. The point of that is, that's, that's, that's the law. The law is meant to show us our need for Christ. Good. For this reason, it is by faith, in order that it may be in accordance with grace, so that the promise will be guaranteed to all the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, big L, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. couple key phrases there. So the, the promise will be guaranteed to all descendants, not only those over the law. So the, uh, my, my interpretation of that verse, uh, part of the verse that says, not only are those who are of the law, to me is speaking of the Jewish nation. And then if you really want to uh, get down to it, the law 
was given to the Jewish nation. So let me free you guys up for a second. I don't know if anybody's Jewish in here, but guess what? The law wasn't meant for you. It wasn't meant for you. It was given to the Jewish nation. The point of that is being said is in the Old Covenant, the, Jewish, the Jews saw themselves as being God's people. And by the blood of Jesus Christ and what He accomplished on the cross, He removed that division between the Gentile and the Jew. So the point is, is you as a Gentile in this room are God's people. Uh, the other thing I want to point out is, um, so about faith. To me, I see, um, see the, I see the law as something that we do, right? It's not something we're, we're intent to do, but when you're, when you're under law, you're, you and your own strength, your flesh are doing. And the way I've always seen it is, it's really, you know, our life is like a continue. it's like a, a you know, if it, Every time my kids get on that, uh, what do they call that? The the seesaw. It kind of. I think it's. I think we have an opportunity to have a seesaw going on. It's like I, in my own strength, can try to perform, which is law. And then I also have grace. So the question I always ask myself is: This me doing it, or is this Christ doing it in me? I think it's our job. What I, the way I see it now is our, my job is to trust and allow Christ to live His life through me. That requires faith and allows God to bring glory to Himself. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. I love this verse, but Jesus was talking and uh, He said, Come to me and I'll give you rest. Learn from me and I'll give you rest. Uh, so then you, you look at that verse and say, Well, what do you mean learn from you? What are we supposed to learn from you? The point of that is there's only one person that's ever lived the Christian life, and that's the Father. And Christ lived the Christian life while He's on planet Earth in His ministry by being dependent upon the Father. I think the same availability is for us today. And one of my favorite prayers anymore is to wake up in the morning and say, Lord, I'm willing today, and You're able, so guess what? We're going to do it together. I think that glorifies Jesus. Uh, but I think the law steals from that. I think the abundant life is Christ living His life uniquely through you. And if it's you doing it, you're missing out on what Christ can do through you and in you for the benefit of others. 17. 17. As it is written, a father of many nations have I made you. In the presence of him whom he believed, even God, who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. In hope against hope he believed, so that he might become a father of many nations according to that which had been spoken. So shall your descendants be. Without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, hard to imagine, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully assured that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. Yes, um, I, I love that term, hope against hope. 
you think about that, hope meaning having hope when hope does not exist. <laughs> and what I really like about that is if you go back, and I love reading old wartime stories, Gideon, Jehoshaphat, the Red Sea. Those things all have in common is God allowed His people to be, I don't think God authors evil, but I think He does allow uh, for our good. Romans 8.28. But the point of that is these people were put in tough circumstances where their only way out was to trust the Father. Um, Now on on the opposite side of the cross, the interesting part is I think it's the same today. It just looks different. What does faith look like today? Faith looks like you trusting the Holy Spirit that lives in you to live His life through you in spite of emotions. Sometimes you don't feel like loving. But Christ will do it through you in spite of your emotions. Sometimes you're in circumstances that makes you hard, makes it hard for you to love. Guess what? You can't. But He will. That's faith, trusting Him to do it through you. Expectations. Sometimes you have expectations on other people. Expectations on certain events. And when those expectations internally aren't met, you're upset, you're hurt, and you're frustrated. But guess what? It's just like Gideon. Your emotions, expectations, and circumstances are working against you. That's when the Father is glorified and you say, Lord, I need you to live life through me in the midst of this. So faith today is trusting Jesus. Same thing that the Israelites had available to them. Uh, the, uh, I've just found the less, I, the less I try to work, the more He's working. That's a beautiful thing, although it's hard. Because you do have emotions, expectations, and circumstances. 22. Therefore, it was also credited to Him as righteousness. Now, not for his sake only was it written that it was credited to him, but for our sake also, to whom it will be credited as those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He who was delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. So if we go back to, um, I'm kind of try to bring this to a head here. So Abraham, I think it, you know, it's fitting for us because Abraham was born before the law. And obviously he credited righteousness before, before the law was even given. The beautiful thing about us in this room that have trusted in Christ is you are now dead to the law. You no longer under law. You're under uh, something better, which is the, the life in Christ and the Spirit indwelling you. Um, I remember when I was going through all this, and you know, it's, it's it, this chapter, chapter four. I remember thinking, like, what, what did Abraham? So okay, so what did Abraham really believe that made him credited righteousness by God? I remember talking to Rusty and Panera. I was asking that question, like, yeah, I get it. He believed that he was going to be the father of many nations and all that good stuff. But what does that have to do with his righteousness? If we look at John, and so to summarize it up, what did it, what it is it that Abraham believed? 
allowed him to be credited righteousness. And if you, I think my opinion is, if you, I think the answer is found in John eight fifty six. You able to pull that one out? Thanks. Sorry, I kind of threw Jim under the bus today. Oh. This is like a drum roll. So this is Jesus in, in John eight, long after Abraham's physically dead and gone. He says, your father Abraham was overjoyed that he would see my day. He saw it and rejoiced. Here's what I think. I think Abraham believed in what the Messiah would do later on, according to that verse. I think he believed in Jesus. Although he didn't experience Jesus like you, I think he believed in Jesus, and that was the source of righteousness. And those of you that want to dig deeper, there's a random cat that we talk about in Hebrews, his name was Melchizedek. You know, I think I think Melchizedek was a pre-incarnate Christ. And I think if you look at that stuff, my opinion is that's where Abraham knew about what Jesus was going to perform on the cross. It's pretty cool stuff how it all ties in. The bottom line is when you when you trust in Christ, you died with Christ, you were raised with him to a brand new life, a brand new identity. We all say we all look at the Father and we say we, we one of his labels is the creator. I'm going to bootleg one of Keith's old sayings. I think it's beautiful, and I remind myself all the time. If you look outside, you look at creation, you'd have to admit that the the creator, this being that created everything in this world, the seasons of life, a tree dying and coming back to life every spring, that requires creativity. You, everybody in this room, your unique personalities requires creativity. So to think that God created mankind to live by rules and law and box themselves in and look like robots, to me, just seems a total disconnect from somebody who's a creative being. Perhaps God has called us to a greater creativity. Perhaps the Christian life is more creative than we've all have, have thought. Perhaps it's us being our unique personalities and Him imparting His life in you to function through your unique personality to the world. Galatians 5, 22-23. I love this verse. I think there's some important truths there. But the fruit of the Spirit... But the fruit of the Spirit, of the Spirit. Al, who's the, who's the fruit belong to? Spirit. Scott, where's the Spirit dwell? Inside you. According to that, that first line, whose job is it to produce the the fruit of the Spirit. Troy? Spirit. What's your job? Allow. Rest. Allow. You know, the uh, fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, gentleness self-control. So, spirits, so what God want to do is place you up on the cross, 
with Jesus, crucify you, get rid of your old nature, put a new nature in that has His Holy Spirit, allow that Holy Spirit to live His life every day through you. Seems a lot more creative than living life by a bunch of laws, a bunch of rules, trying to muster up and do your best you can and live the Christian life in your own strength, doesn't it? If you look around the personalities in the room, I have no desire or ability to climb a tree and cut it down. No, not at all. I have no desire to drive 20 miles away two days before Christmas and help another being who happens to be of different color to fix his car. I don't really care to go frame somebody's house either. I don't really care to run audio and visual on a Sunday. I really don't care to run a department store and minister to a bunch of single women. No. But some of you do, and that's your unique personality. The reason why you have that unique personality and those interests is perhaps is God's way to express His life via the Holy Spirit in you and through you to the people you come across because of your unique personality, your unique interest. And guess what? In the process, somebody gets to enjoy all this fruit being produced in and through you. They get to be a recipient of that. And they say, you know what? Like me hanging out with Keith years ago, I won't what he's got. How do I get that? It's real. So what I would encourage you guys to do is know that wherever you're at in life, your occupation, your friends, your interests, your hobbies, you're in that for a purpose. And that purpose is for God to live His life through you to touch other people. Your job is just allow Him and let. Thanks for you guys' time. Let's say a prayer. Lord, thank you that uh, you're a creative father, that you are life and life as we know it. Uh, Lord, I just thank you that uh, you have called us to something much greater than to living life in our own strength, that you've called us to a place of dependency upon you and the Holy Spirit that indwells us. And your job is to live life through us while we rest. And Lord, I would just pray that uh, each and every individual in this room would just... uh, be willing this week, Lord. Be willing and, and know that you're able and allow them to see that they're uniquely created for you to express your life through. And Lord, I just thank you for you. I thank you for Jesus. And I thank you that we live on the other side of the cross where our forgiveness was planted one time and one time only on the cross. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.